Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Forgiven Podcast. Uh, I'm your host today, Pastor uh, Logan. Pastor Mike's on vacation, so uh, you're stuck with me today. Um, today, I have one of my closest friends in ministry and just a friend overall. Um, we, we went to college together. We worked together for a while. He's just an amazing guy. Um, I have my friend, Pastor Joel Busick, with me today, and we're just going to talk about serving and church and just everything that goes into it. Um, so Joel, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, uh, thanks so much for having me on, Logan. It is a pleasure to be talking with you on the podcast. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I should start. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you, you did get a pastor, yes, but you got a sinner on the other end of your call today and then a sinner <laughs> saved by grace. But, but no doubt uh, you've got, um, uh, yeah, that, that uh, we are doing a little exercise at one of the denominational uh, events that we had and they said describe yourself without saying anything about what you you do for work and uh, all I ended up with was sinner saved by grace I, I didn't know what else to say about myself so so there you go but uh, yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm a husband I'm, I'm a dad of, of a young boy our first son our only son is about nine months right now and uh, yeah we're out in Shoal Lake Manitoba about an hour from Brandon Manitoba uh, just about an hour from the Saskatchewan border in a small town of about 763 residents. So yeah, rural ministry. So thanks for having me, Logan. You know, like you've been, you know, like you're actually part of the small town when you don't just say like 700 or 800, you say like 763, you know, it's <laughs> like, you gotta be, yeah. You know, that's like, yeah. 812 counting pets. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so Joel and I actually go like, we go years back, actually. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy when I asked them to do this. And first of all, thank you for coming on and doing it kind of short notice. Um, I just kind of had some plans to do some this week and every single one fell through. And I knew I wanted to have you on anyway. And I was like, you know what? I'll text my friend and see if he wants to help me out. So he did. Um, and I just got to say, you said it and I agree with it. I think it's pretty sad that the only time you and I actually get to catch up is when it's like for work, you know, over the internet and stuff <laughs> like that. But we're both busy. You, you're running a church and everything and I'm running multiple ministries and stuff. So um, it's just good to catch up with you. But I wanted to um, just start off by talking about, like, what is specific, like, what is your ministry? Like, what do you actually, like, do? And I know that's such a broad, um, like, topic and stuff like that. But what is something unique about, like, a small town ministry? Like, what is something that your church does um, that's, like, unique and different? Because I think every church has something that's a little unique and different. Yeah, that's a good question, Logan. Yeah, I, I think... Um some of the things that makes rural ministry unique is, uh, and, and any ministry unique, is, of course, the context you're ministering in. And so it's not necessarily uh, even things intrinsic in the church, but just the community you're nestled in. So if you, you know, are in the GTA versus Brandon versus Shoal Lake, you know, you're going to have drastically different ministry. And you read about, you know, pastors in persecuted areas uh, in different countries, you know, changes drastically uh the kind of ministry you do so community out here is is really interesting because in s bigger cities bigger centers what can happen is that there are lots of people but you can feel uh, incredibly lonely and incredibly not known but out here whether you want it or not 
uh, you are known. And it's, you know, the same four people that work at the gas station, the same eight people that work at the uh, grocery store. So you develop relationships without even trying. Um, and people get to know you well that way. And, and uh, even just by being in the town, there are so many relationships that we've developed that uh, we weren't working for or weren't making an intentional um, decision to go create relationships with our community. But um, we've really found that in an accelerated way um, that we've become a part of the fabric of Shoal Lake um, in this small and beautiful way. Um, so that that's something that's really exciting, I think, about rural ministry is that you really get a chance to for people to know you. And you aren't known just as a pastor. They don't just get the Sunday morning, the ministry guy. They see you in all aspects of your life. They see you on town committees. They see you mowing your lawn. They see you um, what kind of cheese you buy that you only get the cheap on sale stuff. Like all of this stuff, you know, all of these things that help make a person human uh, happens very naturally in rural ministry, which means that there is a much um, smaller bust between um, a community person and the religious person, the religious expert of the, of the town. Um, there's so much less of that because uh, you're in community with everybody. See, and, and what's crazy is, um, you still get that even like in myself, like just last week I was at superstore with my mom and I saw like a bunch of people from church yeah. and like, it, it, and, and so it's cool to me that there's a little bit of a crossover there now still way, like it's way more pertinent in your um, like small town, right? Cause there's only three stores. So you're only going to go to those three <laughs> stores and stuff like that and, and meet people. Um, and I'll be honest, that's how that, that <laughs> the way you described it, and I'm kind of joking, that sounds like an introvert's nightmare, you know, where it's <laughs> for <laughs> like, sure. It, yeah. It, like yeah. being in a rural community is not for everyone. Hyde and I, we love it. Like we really, really love it, but you'll yeah. find people equally like loathe it because, uh, yeah, it takes a bunch of intentionality to have a private life in a small town of, and I think, so I think to me, that's a huge opportunity where people really know you, you they see you, um, and, and they, they know what you're like, you know, when you're not at the office, when you're not in your Sunday button up, um, I think that creates a big opportunity for your witness to be, um, just seen a lot more regularly and in ways that are a lot more accessible, um, and so they see, you know, what does a person following Jesus look like when he's at the grocery store? You know, is it different? Maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're right that it, it presents some <laughs> challenges, but also opportunities. Yeah. Well, and, and that's one thing where, I mean, we both went to the same Bible college and stuff. And when they talked about small town ministry, they talked about, you're not ministering to the church. You're actually ministering to the city, the town. Like you're not just there for the same 30 people on your Sunday right. morning. You're you're there for the whole uh like community and that's something that I think is is it should be true of all churches. Yeah. Um some exciting now, examples of that is how uh just recently for uh, anti-bullying day I was asked to speak um during the general assembly in the school for pink shirt day on you know on bullying and whatnot. I was able to uh bring the gospel in an approachable way there. Um and uh, I was asked for the town's Remembrance Day service to speak at it. Um, uh, things like 
there was a Christmas tree lighting that happened and I was asked to uh, play music, provide some uh, carols and uh, yeah, and a prayer there. And so there's, yeah, these all, all of these crossovers where now you're starting to kind of have this network. And those are all opportunities coming from coming to me that are, um, yeah, partially because uh, I'm a pastor, that's part of it. But it's also because we know each other, and we have network and relationship with one another just in the daily ins and out of our life. So it, yeah, it creates some cool opportunities. Well, and I think that's super like amazing. First of all, that you got to like share the gospel in an approachable way in school is like mind blowing to me because it just kind of seems lately that <laughs> that's the opposite direction um, that things are going. But I do find that incredibly um, just inspiring for myself because um, I mean, like I'm a youth pastor now. I, it's something new that I like have had to take on and it, and it's this, um, like, yeah, just kudos for just God be glorified in that situation. Cause I think that's incredible that you get to go out and to do all these things and represent Christ in those. Um, when I was a junior, when I was like a junior youth leader in high school, um, pastor Ruth Dunbauer, amazing person. She was the person that trained me up and she used to have this saying, it was follow me as I follow Christ. That was the idea. And it was yeah. like, you know, you're always on. She was like, whether you're at school, at the Wheat King game, at the Winter Fair, whatever, she's like, our students are going to see you yeah. and they are going to, like, they look up to you. Now, whether you think you're important or not, that's the way it is. And so she was like very adamant that like, you have to be the same as you are at youth, as you are on Sunday, as you are like in the community. And I think just for everybody listening, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not. That's how we should be. Yeah. You shouldn't be showing up to Sunday morning, you know, with your tie and everything buttoned up and then, you know, go out Friday night and, you know, be doing, you know, promiscuous things or whatever. Right. Um, because whether or not you fully rep like agree with it or not, you represent Christ in that moment. And, you know, if you call yourself a Christian and stuff like that, other people, We'll call you a Christian. If you yeah. proclaim that, people will start recognizing you for it. And if you're not living up to that call, to that mantle of responsibility, then you're kind of actually harming, you know, the others around you. Even though you might not think you are and that might not be your intention, you're actually putting a bad name um, on there and stuff. And so I just, you know, kudos to you for obviously understanding that. But just for the people listening to, I think that's a really important Listen, and we're going to get it wrong, right? All the time, you start man. Off, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, that's, why, that's why this podcast is called Forgiven, because it's the idea that, look, we're going to get it wrong, but guess what? You're forgiven. So just keep trying. Keep getting better. Keep moving. You know, yeah. even if it's two steps forward, one step back, guess what? You still went one step forward. Yeah. I, I can tell a quick story. Like, so I'm new dad. Um, turns out every parent will know this, that there's kind of the the company's coming over, or you're going to get pictures with your, you know, your child or, um, you know, you're bringing them to church or something. So you, you find that one button up that nice shirt you have for them. You, you clean them up and you get them all nice and everyone, you know, their hair is combed. Everything's awesome. But then you know that there's days at home where you're parenting alone and they've got avocado from their, their lips and in their hair and their ears or it's just, it's girl. They're all only wearing a diaper. They're, they're crying because they're teething. There's kind of these two, you know, this less cleaned up version and this nice, this nice as if nothing has ever happened in this little boy's life. Um, there's those two versions. And the truth is that Jesus saw 
one version of us as humanity and it wasn't the cleaned up it wasn't the sunday morning it wasn't the the uh you know we've already situated ourselves well it was the version of humanity that mocked him that denied him uh, in his hometown that rejected him uh, those who mocked him laughed at him ultimately beat him whipped him nailed him to a cross and crucified him and that's the version of humanity Jesus came for. And it blows my mind that that, that is, that's the picture Jesus got of humanity and still went to the cross. Um, so it's just so important for us to, like you said, like, uh, you know, on the thesis of the podcast that we are forgiven to know that uh, we're forgiven, not based on the merit of what we've done or, or whether we can get nice and cleaned up for Sunday morning or, or, you know, how cleaned up do I need to get in order for Jesus to love me? That indeed on the very premise of the cross, he declares, I've come for you in your mess. And uh, yeah, that uh, that's life changing, right? That's totally life changing. And, you know, we just, for the, we'll build, I'm going to date this a little bit. We're recording this the Tuesday after Easter um and so it was like easter is always such a powerful reminder for that i mean that's kind of the whole purpose of it is to remind ourselves of that but um yeah it's amazing to think that god didn't just like come to like help us jesus didn't come to just like kind of skirt us along it was no 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 he came for all of it like He's not just taking your one little problem. No, he came for all of it. He came for all of you. He didn't come for, you know, the kid that reads the Bible every Sunday and memorizes the scripture and, and all that stuff. He didn't come for that. He came for the kid sitting in the corner who got a timeout because whatever, he punched somebody or whatever. Like he came for everybody. And um, I think a lot of Christians, I think, I'm just going to call us out. We need to we need to start remembering that. He didn't come for the Sunday dressed Christian. He didn't come for them. Or at least specifically come for them. He came for everybody. And he came for all of your mess, not just a portion of it. So if you're listening today and you're and you're going through something, God came for that. Jesus died for that mess. Yeah. He didn't die for, you know, the perfect image of you. Right? That's not what he wants. He wants the real you. And I know for myself, that is something that took me a really long time to to figure out. Yeah. And it's still something, actually, that I battle with, even as, like, a pastor and stuff. I'll just be real. Like, it's it's hard because, like, you have to live this, like, almost perfect life with air quotes, like, perfect, because we'll never be perfect. But, like, when people look up to you and stuff like that, there's a lot more pressure that gets put on you. And I don't, you don't even have to be a pastor for that. If you're just a volunteer, if you're on the board of your church, if even if you're, like, a, like a management position at your job or anything, there's more mantle of responsibility put on you, and that adds extra stress and anxieties and, and everything to it. And that can lead to a lot of, like, self deprecating humor or a lot of like self-harm in some ways both physically and mentally and spiritually and all these things and if you don't understand that like god came for all of that you're never going to fully overcome it or at least it's going to be a lot a lot harder you know and just 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 know that people listening like he came for all of you not just the good side of you yeah and something unique about rural ministry is that when i first came i was bivocational so I substituted throughout the uh, school division, like substitute teaching. Um, I picked up uh, some equipment work with the municipality, 
um, clearing snow and, and different jobs during the summer and whatnot. And uh, <clears throat> what, what I realized in that season by being a pastor as well as working <clears throat> uh, secular jobs uh, or in secular workplaces that uh, people... The, the task of following Jesus well in your workplace is incredibly challenging. Um, and it was, it was really humbling to be uh, in both roles simultaneously because it, it humbled me knowing that, uh, man, in that, that school staff room, what it is to be the light of Christ there is challenging. Uh, what does it mean to be someone of uh, love in a blue-collar work environment? uh, for, for guys like that, like that's, that's not a small yeah. ass. That's not nothing like that's, that's really challenging. So, uh, yeah, be encouraged, uh, that there is, uh, there, there is victories along the way, but yeah, there will take, it, it'll take a huge renovation of your life to yield to Christ, um, in both, um, the times that you want to, and the times that are seem fitted well, but more so in the times that are challenging, that it's against the tide, that it's not what is easy, it's not what comes naturally, um, that self-denial and, and following Jesus when uh, it seems least easy to do so is certainly uh, what we pray for God's grace to be able to do for sure. Yeah, and one thing that is like amazing is um, the opportunities that everyday people are given to actually spread the word of God. Like, I remember I was thinking about it once, and I was in high school, was playing on the football team, was surrounded by, like, just secular parties and drugs and drinking and, and all these things, because that's what high school sort of is for a lot of people. And don't get me wrong, I still love those people. I still try to talk to them as much as I can and and everything. But I remember being ashamed and, and like, prideful, but, like, of my own youth group. And so I remember a, a teammate of mine, a good friend was like actively asking me questions about faith and like, and being like, look, like he, I have prayed for him. We'd stayed up late talking and all these things. And he was like, well, Logan, like you go to youth group. Can I come? And I remember being like, uh, and I, it wasn't like I was nervous to ask him. I didn't want to. Because it was like, that was my place, you know? That was my, like, you know, I had this pride that it was, like, for me and everything like that. Because, like, you know, I was just like, this is my safe space kind of thing. I could go here and not have to, I could live two lives. I could be Logan at school and on the football team, and then I could be nice, prim and proper youth leader Logan at, you know, at church on Sundays and at youth on Wednesdays. And so, like, I still look back on that, and I'm so, like just angry at myself that there was somebody actively like reaching out and asking me questions about it. And then I like actively tried to like basically deny them. And I eventually did invite him to youth and, you know, I prayed with him a lot and I believe he's still serving the Lord and stuff now. Like I haven't talked to him in a little while, but it's like, I look at that and I think about all the other times in my life and all the other opportunities that we're presented with on a day-to-day -day basis to just speak a little bit of life into somebody's life and how many times we might actually just not notice it, not want to, you know, like we come up with so many excuses as to like, you know, why we wouldn't do it, you yeah. know? And I'm just like, and I'm sitting here wondering like, how do you, like, 
as a pastor, it's like it's our job to train people up to go out and to reach out and to do these things. But I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, it's it's one of those things where it's like I, I sit here and I kind of get a little discouraged, not in like a super bad way, but I'm like, man, God presents us so many opportunities to, you know, to disciple and to reach out to people every day. And I think about all the times that I haven't. And I'm like, man, I need to like just be paying more attention to that. You know, it's like, it's kind of cool. And so in a small town, though, I think those opportunities present themselves, I think, way more often and stuff than in like a bigger city like Brandon and stuff because there's just less people in a smaller town. And so like you're you're just you're inherently closer to everybody. Um, yeah. And is- yeah. So it's never you know, it's never the opportunity. It's always many opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having yeah, known you, you miss it is. I think I think there's some you know one of your kind of the prep prep questions you know what what keeps you passionate what keeps you um, motivated uh, you know to keep um, keep enduring you know uh, and I think that there is an essential part of of being a Christian and certainly a essential part of being in rural ministry is that your heart has to burn for those who don't know Jesus. Like, like that has to matter to you. Um, and, and for no other reason than it mattered to Jesus. Um, so, you know, it doesn't need to go any deeper than that, um, that it's literally, you know, the commission to you and I as believers to make this matter in our life. So that, that's reason enough. But I think that's actually the fuel that, that um, when you come to terms of uh, eternal life, um, man, it, it should put a fire in your belly, a fire in your heart to want to go and keep making mistakes and keep trying and, 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 you know, send that text or, or apologize to this person or try again there, or to give one more invitation to so-so, you know, and, and just keep yeah. passionate, keep that burn in your heart for seeing people come to know the Jesus. And, uh, yeah. And it takes lots of, lots of practice. That's the truth of it. So, and I know because I was I was thinking like, you know, I always ask people what keeps them passionate because I think it's it's such a powerful question to to ask people because sometimes people don't know. Right. And and, and, in all honesty, sometimes I get up and I'm like, why am I doing this again? You know, like like I go through that and ultimately I always come back to like, well, no, it's because, you know, I love Jesus and I want to help people find and follow him. Like that's ultimately what it burns down to. And um, I think you said it so well. It doesn't have to be anything more than what Jesus told us to do. Just obedience. Yeah. Just obedience. And I think a lot of the time we overcomplicate it. We start putting up, false narratives and barriers and all of these things in there because I think a we're scared and we we don't know how to take that step of faith and so we put more you know we put more parameters around this idea that you have to do this this and this um you know to come in and stuff like that and I think it's it's a defense mechanism for a lot of people um but you're right it's it's nothing simpler than just Jesus told us to doesn't it's no deeper than that um and I think that's very very powerful um, so when you're li- so people listening to this, just know that like Jesus called us to do it, and that that should be it. Um, I think that's that's beautifully well said. Um, now I do want to kind of talk about something 
in your ministry? Because I'm looking through like um, your notes and stuff. And I just got to say, um, I said this in the preamble, but I got to say it now. I just, I mean, we worked together for many years. I just, I forgot how thorough you are with like everything. And I actually find that like so amazing about you is like how like, I gave you this at 10 o'clock and we started recording at 11 and you have like more answers in here than a lot of the people um, would and everything like that. So just like kudos to you. And it um, is awesome. But I want to talk about why did you start in ministry? What, like what was the passion? Because um, like you talked about, you want to help people, you know, come to Christ and everything like that. But you know, why ministry? You could do that in other areas. Yeah, it's a good question, and I'm, I'm going to tell my story, but for anybody listening, this isn't the prescribed scriptural story for you to begin ministry, okay? This is the story of how the Spirit worked in my life and circumstances to bring me to where I am today. This isn't, this isn't something you need to wait on God for in order to be obedient to what Jesus has already commanded us to do. So, so just Amen, brother. hold on there. Amen, yeah. bro. So, so if you're, if you're waiting for, for, uh, I don't know, an Eagle to fly in front of a rainbow to confirm that you are called to ministry, don't bother. Go to Matthew chapter 28 and just, just heed the word of the Lord. Okay. And, okay so, just, no, just, I, <laughs> just wait, before you start this, I just, I want to quickly see if you remember this. Um, so, and I talk about this all the time and it fits perfectly. And then I'll let you tell your story in Bible college. We, we took all the same classes together, whatever. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember one time, Dr. Gabriel in the, one of our theology classes, he got up there and he was like angry as angry as he gets. And he like puts his hands on the podium and he's like, I'm so tired of you whiny babies complaining that you don't know what you're going to do, blah, 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 blah. He's like, I'm tired of hearing about your internships and you can't figure out where to go. And, and you're sitting there waiting for the magical answer and all that stuff. He's like, just get up and do something. He's like, go out and try something. You know, he's like, and God will tell you real quickly if that's not where you're meant to be. You know, he's like, he'll show you. But if you sit around wallowing in your own self-pity or you sit around wander, waiting for this perfect sign, like, guess what? You're going to miss it. So just just to reinforce what, what Pastor Joel is saying here, it's like you don't have to wait for this, like, perfect spiritual moment to go out and to do something. Right. Just start. Yeah. And, and, and right. And, and simultaneously knowing that the patient discernment of making decisions, yeah, not to veto that, but to know that um, there is a lot of moral freedom we have obeying Christ. And so there's decisions we just have to make. Um, so yeah, so early on in my life, I grew up in a church planting home, which meant that uh, ministry was kind of woven into the fabric of our family. We went to Boisevain, um with no uh, promise of income for my dad. I was zero years old at this time. There's four of us kids. Um, so mom was at home taking care of us and dad planted a church in Boise, Maine, Manitoba. And so on the first Sunday, I think it was one person and us as his family. And uh, that, that was, it's kind of the picture for what it was um, that we grew up in. Um, and then again, planting in when I was about 13, uh, yeah, 12, 13 in Hamiota, Manitoba, which is just a little ways from where I'm pastoring now. So ministry was woven into what it is to be alive. Like that was just, that was the heartbeat of the family. So uh, it meant that all of us kids were serving in different capacities as soon as we could. 
Um, we learned instruments uh, because we love them, but also because, you know, it could mean that uh, we're able to be a part of worship. Uh, I, you know, it was my siblings that led me in Sunday school. You know, all of these different things we are naturally um, brought into. I remember ministering with Dad uh, at Manhattan Beach Camp being a meaningful part. And that's really part part of where kind of my specific story begins is, is at that place where... Um, yeah, I, I, even even as a young boy, probably I was still children's chapel, so I don't know how old that kid would be, what, maybe 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. And uh, that was when uh, the Holy Spirit showed up in my life in a way uh, that entirely renovated um, who I knew God to be. Um, so being filled with the Spirit as a young person with nobody around and uh, the chapel leaders just waiting to close the doors so they could go home for the night. Um, it, it was just incredibly impactful um, to have an experience like that. And um, it's been a catalyst for me to, um, of course, do Christian life in, in a very unique, or not, no, sorry, not at all in a unique way, in a boringly normal Holy Spirit-led way. Um, and so, so that was really important for me. And then later, uh, there was, there was, uh, and again, not prescriptive for everyone listening necessarily, but there was a specific moment, a definite moment, a time where, yeah, with, with uh, uh, you know, I, I don't have great words to communicate this, but a deep knowing that I was called into vocational ministry. Um, and so I, I was praying, seeking the Lord's face uh, as a 15-year-old kid. Um, and I knew at that point that I was going to become a minister. And so uh, I called my girlfriend at the time, my now wife. I said, uh, you know, I'm going to be a pastor. And uh, we just went on from there. I kept telling kids at school that I was going to be a teacher because that was easier. Um, and then uh, and that, that was the plan. But uh, Lord had other ideas. So from there, started to um, kind of prepare that way. Dad, you know, gave me all kinds of opportunities to do ministry through VBS and through uh, junior youth ministry at Manhattan Beach and all kinds of different areas, uh, even even being able to speak and, and lead worship, of course. And uh, the truth is, is that I know, I know the context I grew up in, you know, I saw the joys and the struggles of ministry um, by my dad and that, that the burn of his heart. And that was incredibly uh, impactful in me and, and still steers the, my ship in ways now where, you know, when you see someone sacrifice their entire life so that just one more person may know the love of Jesus, um, you either accept that and it changes you or you reject that. And it's all, so you, you kind of, when you see that amount of sacrifice, it's, it's not lukewarm. Like you, you like no. you, you, it has to be hot or cold. So you either reject it all or you accept it and it, and it has to change your life. So that's, I, that's, so that's, that's where it took me. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then, then ministry experiences, uh, I knew, uh, going to horizon was a means to an end. I needed to be equipped to be a pastor. Uh, that was the logical choice. They did a good job, uh, ended up in, in ministry in, in Saskatoon, different capacities, all kinds of, uh, you know, cool opportunities there. And then uh, about a year-long process brought us to Shoal Lake Baptist Church, including, <clears throat> uh, yeah, specific ministry to my wife, where 
uh, there, there again, there was um, what we could only call supernatural communication to, to Heidi first and then to us and then to all of the people uh, in leadership at Shoal Lake Baptist Church as well as in the denominational circles and then finally with the congregation with a unanimous vote saying, yeah, we, we don't know well who this guy is, but uh, we've discerned that this is what is uh, for us. And, and since then, we've, uh, yeah, we've had some incredible ministry happening here. Um, we just, I think maybe three weeks ago, six people gave their hearts to Jesus in our after school program with a couple of youth. Praise the Lord. Uh, yeah. So, so really exciting that way. And, and, you know, life transformation happening, um, for sure. And, and, and in concrete ways, and also just the slow incremental advancing of the kingdom of God through discipleship. Um, and that's something that, uh, you know, really changed in my heart in the process of the transition was how incredibly important it is to reach new people indeed. Um, but the focus, like if you take a look at the epistles, um, so much of it is discipleship of the people already committed to Jesus. Um, and yep. so that being a, a, a super strong focus for me, and, I, and I'm still figuring that out. So we, we started to do a lot of discernment on, or I, I started to do a lot of discernment and reading and, and studying about what it will look like for us to disciple one another. Um, I think it's, I forget uh, which author wrote about this, but he said that he was talking to someone and, you know, someone that's been following Jesus for 20 years, you can either follow Jesus, you know, for 20 years as a one-year-old Christian, or you can actually mature through following Jesus and um, become a more mature believer through the process of it. And so yielding to my own maturity, um, that, that, that is the work I need to be incredibly concerned about is my own mature maturation so that too um, we can give tools and empower others in community to become uh, deeper followers of Jesus is, is certainly a deep burn in my heart now. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, you're the one who said this to me when we were together. It's like, you can only take somebody as far as you've gone. Um, and that's something that I actually like really like took to heart. And like, you know, my, my ministry is very different in that. I mean, I, I run our media, I do all of our outreach and, and stuff like that, but I don't actually really do a lot in terms of like, uh, like new Christians. I, that's really not, where I've been doing my time. Like I was still obviously leading people to crisis opportunities present themselves, but it's actually been more about equipping the people like the, you know, the other Christians, you know, the people that are, you know, like you said, it's like the epistles. It's actually like developing the people to go out and to do that and stuff. And like, cool. you know, I it was, it's, it was a big shift in my heart actually. Cause um, I was like, no, I'm going to go and, you know, reach people and do this. And then it's like, well, I actually kind of found myself, you know, I like to put it like this. We sometimes focus way too much on people coming in the front door. We forget about the Christian slipping out the back, you know? And so it's like, I've kind of been like, well, you know what? I am going to start kind of caring about the people in the back because they're just as important as, you know, the new people coming in, you know? And so it's just like figuring out that balance and stuff. So Yeah, I, and that's that the, the Great Commission, like, is a commission to discipleship where teaching, um, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the influence of them, and yeah. teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey 
is discipleship. That's obedience to Christ. So yeah, I we, so I'm trying out something new in our, our what we call follow group. It's our discipleship night. We um, kind of yeah have an intentional time uh, every Thursday night. And one of the things we I did a decent amount of teaching uh, in our first semester this or I guess in 2022. Uh, took a look at so many different discipleship kind of paradigms and the way people look at things uh, out of all kinds of different, um, you know, evangelical circles. And one of the uh, felt helpful tool, I kind of merged a bunch of them, is that we follow Jesus through our head and our heart and our hands. Um, so we follow Jesus through our head, all of our beliefs, the things we think. So we need to know who Jesus is to follow him. Um, so, yeah. so statement of faith type stuff, that is important. Theology determines uh, so much in our life. So we need to believe the correct and right things about God. Um, and then our heart, the virtues we have, uh, we need to possess those fruit of the spirit that needs to be evident in our life. Um, so we follow Jesus in all of the virtues he's had, the compassion, the kindness and the gentleness and the patience, all of these things we have to yield and follow Jesus to in the virtues that we have. But we also have to follow Jesus. Kind of the how-to is with our hands. We have to do the practices that Jesus does. So we can we can really fixate on getting all the head stuff. We can, uh, you know, the matters of the heart are incredibly important. Um, but kind of how do we develop this? Well, let's follow the lifestyle of Jesus. We can't have the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. We can't have the fruit of Jesus in our lives unless we do the work of following him. So uh, yeah, silence and solitude, you just can't miss it in the gospel. So if you're going to follow Jesus and you want to have the fruit of Jesus, you've got to implement the way that he used his, his actions, his hands, you've got to implement that into your life. And so really convicting on me and deepening, and there's a huge, uh, maybe awakening is the wrong word, but huge uh, opening up of the spiritual disciplines in uh, contemporary Christian life once again, where we've got guys like uh, John Mark Comer, who's um, left yes. his church to, you know, fully devote himself to teaching Christians core spiritual disciplines. Um, and, and like, again, we're not talking, you know, like a little niche, like, do you not murder? Do you not commit adultery? Do you love the Lord your God? Well, those are 10 commandments. And guess what's also part of the 10 commandments? Oh, Keep the Sabbath holy. Um, so just interesting, uh, you know, I, 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 that's maybe a, a bit of a mistreatment of the whole nature of the, this conversation, of course. But just to say that um, we have an underdeveloped understanding of the spiritual disciplines. Um, so we swing uh, in pendulums. Each church, each church swings, as well as kind of Christian culture swings. One of the swings was this um, a running away from the legalism we felt of um, yes. uh, spiritual disciplines are the way that you earn grace. And so, we're... oh, sorry, I think the recording brief, I'll just go back. So yeah, we yeah, swing... go back. Okay. So we, we, we swing in Christian culture. And so we threw out all the spiritual disciplines and now guess what? We're not seeing any spiritual fruit, any depth of the faith. And so now yeah. we're like, well, how do we, man, I just had a miscarriage. How can I keep following Jesus? And we're like, well, we need to be involved in ways that we're connecting with God to make sense of the world that we're living in. And guess what? It's as boring and unbloggable as prayer. <laughs> so, you know, like there's these, there's like, you know, 2000 years of, and, and much more of history of doing spiritual disciplines that we've kind of, you know, grown out of or whatever. And we're wondering why we don't have the fruit of Jesus's life. And because we're not living the lifestyle of Christ, 
Um, so yeah, just trying to press into the, um, we're, we're really trying to help people in our church and myself recognize that there is so much work for us to do uh, in our lives. And particularly, you know, marriage being a super important one, you know, mm. Ephesians talking so eloquently about it, where we're presenting our spouses wholly to Christ and uh, which is really discipleship and marriage, that this is this co-work that we do with one another to um, present each other set apart um, wholly to Christ. Uh, and, and, you know, the calling of every husband to be a servant like Jesus to their yes. spouse. It just, like, it really has to renovate your life if you take any of the teachings of the New Testament seriously. Um, and so I'm on that uncomfortable work myself where it's like, wow, I'm, I'm pretty distant from some of this. So what, what does God have for me to do in this season? And, um, you know, just one quick story. Uh, yeah. that, that head, heart, and hands, the discipleship, you know, holistic, you know, not just trying to fill our head with a bunch more knowledge, not just trying to be good people, not just trying to do a bunch of spiritual disciplines, but trying to get a little bit more holistic picture of what it is to follow Jesus. Um, I created a little inventory tool where you it asked you questions about these different areas of your life, and you could kind of get a bit of a picture. It's kind of like a self-awareness tool of what it is that God, or what where where it is that you are lacking yielding to Jesus, if that makes sense. So maybe compassion, you're like, that is something I don't have patience. That's something. So it was able to bring up areas. We're in a, a, our discipleship night. We're doing this activity. There's one lady who is like the saint of saints. She's, she's incredible, spent many years in global missions. Um, you know, as, as far as, you know, a guy can, it's like this life has been yielded to Jesus. She does her inventory. We're all sitting around. We're going to share, you know, our takeaways from it. And she's like, you know, she's approaching her 90s. And she says, you know, there is so much more growth I have to do. Wow. You know, and so so here's a person following Jesus. Well, uh, you know, sacrificed so much for Jesus. And she still sees, man, I am so distant from the person of Christ still. Um, and embodying all the things that he has. And so, you know, it being a process that no matter how many years you've been following Jesus, there is a deeper um, level that we can follow him for each and every one of us, no matter what. Uh, and so, yeah, that being an intentional work of rural ministry and and of, of every ministry, of course. So, yeah. Well, that's something that all ministries really should get behind is... Um, just better equipping people. And I think you're so right when we talk about um, like the pendulum shift uh, because it's happened, right? We see this uh, in, in just capital C church across the world, right? We're, we're sitting here asking a lot of questions as to like, well, how come this happens and how come this doesn't? And, you know, sometimes we, we're trying to put God in this box and it's like, no, God doesn't fit in that box or at least not all of him. And um, it's incredible to see um, those things like shifting, you know, because um, I'm not sure if you heard about it or not, but like, you know, like a month or two ago, we just had like, it was the Asbury revival, right? So we have thousands of people, you know, not just like, give, obviously people gave their lives to Christ, but it was an actual shift in people's mentalities um, of understanding that like, and these are ministry students. This was you and I five years ago, 
showing up and praying and being like, look, God, like I'm actually in this. So it's like, what do you actually have me like doing? How do I prepare? And it was them, a lot of them coming back and being like, look, I need to start doing this. I need to start doing this. I need to start living like this. I need to start doing this. And it was so incredible like to see that, you know, because you're right. We can't forget and we can't pick and choose which parts of Jesus's life that we want to follow, right? We can't pick things that yeah. are convenient for us um, and then not do the inconvenient stuff. Um, and that's like something that's really, really hard, right? Because like it's easy for us to pick the easy thing, you know? Um, and so it's like just very well said. And I think one challenge that I think a lot of like churches is having is like volunteering, I maybe maybe you're maybe you have all the team that you need and 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 if so amazing but like here we are always short on volunteers and it's one of those things where it's like we have like an amazing core group of volunteers who show up every single you know week and event and they are pouring their life out and it's like amazing um and then we have the people that aren't and it's it's those people that aren't you know pouring out their life that I have to wonder how healthy their relationship with God is and that might sound mean and I'm calling them up but I'm not it's just a it's a greater question of God calls us to serve God calls us to you know be active in our church to to be you know helping people find and follow Jesus and if you're not doing that I have to wonder how you know your relationship with Christ is because for me serving has always been the best way that I have grown in my relationship with Christ, obviously like through the study of the word and praying and all those things. Yes, I have learned lots, but it, the most great breakthroughs that I've had has come through moments of volunteering through like leadership development, through all of these types um, of things that the, you know, we as pastors offer for people. And so I'm just kind of wondering what, like, what do you, like, is that true for you? I think that's, that's a good, you, you found a um, difference I would say that's something different about real ministry. Um, hmm. We don't need a team of ushers. One's good. <laughs> like That's fair. You yeah. only need yeah. how many ushers and greeters for to welcome 60 people. And when there's 60 people or less or more, uh, everybody's a greeter and welcomer. So, so volunteering in the church is very different because we don't have a buffet table of opportunities to be involved in church ministry. Meaning, if you want to serve Jesus, it's in your marriage, it's in your workplace, it's serving wow. your children, it's it's being a light on a church community, or, or not a church community, sorry, sorry, a set, like a town committee, be, be on your school board, uh, be on the Splash Park committee, you know, I'm on that one, and it's like, you know, f- for what reason am I, am I here, you know, concerned about this, this kingdom or yeah. the kingdom of heaven, you know, what... Well, the reality is, you know, here's a huge opportunity for me to be, um, yeah, to be Jesus in in a situation that's very distant from, you know, like, yeah, it, it's not a ministry of the church. Um, and we've got some, that, that's something that I'm learning from our congregation where they are involved in incredible ways throughout. Um, uh, just, just one guy comes to mind particularly where, and, and, and his wife, where they're in the care homes all the time. They're um, volunteering to drive the handy van for in remote areas to get people to uh, medical appointments. And so there's no, you know, this isn't the church's program to run people to their medical appointments, but here 
you know, this, this couple has found that they can care for the widows uh, in this, this really tangible way. And it's not because of the church programming and mission, um, which I think is, yeah, it's, it's, it's different in that way where to me now, well, I need help on say something like our after school program. It's not that we don't have programming, um, but that it's incredibly important that Sunday morning and, and follow group, you know, like our discipleship night are times where I am preparing and equipping and inspiring people to go be ministers, the royal part of the royal priesthood, right exactly where they are in their tractor cab and the way they're on the CB radio with each other, whatever, the, their internal battles, the, the struggle it is to, to spend millions every single season praying that it will turn out to have fruit in the end, like the, the, the amount of the faith and perseverance and endurance mm. and, and, and humble submission of all the anxieties of your heart that's required in an agriculture lifestyle. Like, you know, I, I'm... I'm really passionate about finding, being able to have people fully participate in the life of Christ, even if that's not anything to do on a Sunday morning uh, as far as serving goes. Um, and that's something that was, yeah, a huge paradigm shift, like the whole recruitment, you know, problems, yeah. all of the books you can, leadership pipeline type stuff, um, which like, frankly, like, the picture for rural churches is is desperate at best right now. Um, you've got mm. towns that are urbanization is, you know, challenging towns to stay afloat, let alone churches, which means, you know, uh, like in, in my context, it's a typical is a three-year wait for a pastor, which means that lay leadership is also, um, yeah, like, like, yeah, it just like, it literally has to happen. We're going to have, and, and agriculture is the same way. We're going to have a huge exodus of pastors in the next 10 years the amount of pastors that are say 55 plus right now that are in solo pastorates or yeah. in executive leadership positions they'll either continue to serve way past 65 or if they do retire broadly speaking that generation um, we will have thousands of churches across canada without uh pastors so it, there is a huge um yeah. So, yeah. And at the same time, right. So I'm saying, you know, they're following Jesus, being involved in ministry and all of the, your actual life situations. And yet you're right, Logan, that, you know, there, there is a calling to specific ministry in the church and, and the church can do specific ministry that you can't do in your workplace. Um, so in, indeed, yeah, digging deep in those areas too. Well, everything that you just said is also applicable to a, to a city church. It doesn't like, we don't escape doing ministry that isn't in the four walls of your church building, right? right? So, like, for those listening, that isn't your free pass to not go and be in your workplace, you know, be in your communities, all those things, because we still need you on our school boards, on our committees, you know, on in, involved in the community, right? We still need that because, guess what, church is community. And so, like, I'm so happy you brought that up because... Like, not only do we need volunteers in our building, absolutely. More importantly, I think we need Christians in the community. And that's like, that's that's Bethel's goal is in the community for the community. That's our phrase. That's what we do. And so it's like, yeah, that is like us doing our water, you know, Brandon's biggest water fight or us doing our fall carnival and our, you know, we just did an Easter egg hunt extravaganza thing. And like, 
whatever, all those things are important, and those have been amazing. Like, they are truly successful events when we look at sharing love to the community and stuff. Um, but more than that, we need more just Christian representation in our cities and in, in our communities and stuff, on school boards, on everything. And so if you're sitting at home and you're, you know, thinking of something to do, look around, see if you can get on your school board, like get volunteering, you know, people who like sports, go and coach, right? Like there's, there's so many opportunities that, that go beyond just like the four walls of your church. And so like, um, I think Pastor Joel is so right in that because that's a lesson that I think we all need to learn. That's not, um, we're not, you know, excused of that because our community is bigger. If anything, that actually gives us a bigger call to action to go out and to be more involved and, and to do these things. It's actually a greater responsibility now um, put on us, which I think is um, something so incredibly powerful and um, can lead to really great fruit and um, in the lives of our church and in Christians and stuff. So thank you for saying that because I think um, there's lessons that it's an important lesson that needed to be, you know, reminded of, um, which I think is important. Now, I don't know if he's still, still on the line or not. Um, yeah, I'm okay, with you. Okay, I think, cool. yeah, just, I did. My connection did drop there for a second. You just put your video off, which is fine. Um, okay. So I kind of wanted to, I, we, I don't want to take up too, too much more of your time. So I want to ask kind of like just two more, three more questions, and they might be a little... Um, I want to hear your biggest success and I want to hear your biggest failure. And I don't mean failure to like shame you or anything like that. I think we both understand what I mean. Failure. It's like you tried something, maybe it didn't work, but what lesson did you learn from that? Because as much as we learn from the wins, I think you learn more from the losses. Um, and you said it kind of at the beginning, but if you're not trying, are you really doing you know, that's like a big motto for us here at Bethel is like, well, let's just try it. What's the harm in trying it? If it doesn't work, well, then we know it doesn't work and we try something else. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think I've looked internal uh, more than I have any time in my life in, in the last few years. And the thing <clears throat> I failed most at and the, the greatest, yeah, the, 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 the darkest chapter of my life was when I was most busy with ministry and least busy with Jesus, if that makes sense. No, what I, I mean exactly by that. what you mean. I, uh, was, could, could, if you had asked me this question in that season, I would have talked all, about all kinds of ministry. But now when I hear this question, I think, in what ways um, has sin uh, depraved me of the abundant life that Jesus has for me? And I think it was uh, 2019 when I had a, a, a I think in essence, in, in full reflection, I just didn't believe the gospel. Um, now I was preaching the gospel, but I don't think I believed it. Uh, and that's super scary. I can't believe you can do both. Um, but I didn't actually believe that God loved me. Um, and 
that meant that uh, I was serving with the sole motivation, or not the sole motivation, but with a strong motivation, even unconscious at times, that I was earning my way into God's good graces through being busy with ministry stuff. Um, and that through my great activity for God, he would um, appreciate me and maybe save me. Um, and so what that led to was uh, an entirely hollow experience with God and one where the only understanding I had of Jesus, and indeed it's clear uh, the word Lord uh, and, and the way that we address God includes this. Um, so this has been big in, in my theology, trying to understand this in, a, in the proper way. But the only way I viewed God in that season was that he was my master and I was a slave. And Paul uses that language for himself, but that was the only language I understood God to be. And so I was a, like a slave. They're a commodity and they're only worth something if they're producing something. And so I left any drip of intrinsic value on the altar of activity. And I found myself utterly destroyed. Um, my, my soul was destroyed and there was no reason to live. And so from that season of failure over the months and months it was, and, and of course mounting to, to a crisis moment, um, what did I learn from that failure? Well, I, I learned that, uh, that, that ministry is is made servant to your personal walk with Jesus. So you can't be an effective minister unless you are unless Jesus is effectively ministering to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that perfect there, sense. Jesus has to be like the beat in your chest, like you have to know and love him and receive his grace. Like you, you have to, you have to know Jesus. Um, and I think there's actually a huge amount of people that have been doing Christian activity for years and years, but they don't actually know Jesus. Um, you know, I, tens of thousands of dollars on theology training. And I still, I don't think I knew Jesus. Um, no, that's like, I, I understand that's, it's not quite as black and white as that. Um, but, but truly I, I had an unyielded heart to the love of Christ for me. Um, and, and ministry can callous you to that kind of thing, uh, in a crazy way. Um, so I think, and, and I think we see even that, that humble walk in Paul's life where there, yeah, there was this, um, wealth of experiences and, and frankly, and anyone that follows God through scripture, we see not a terribly linear uh, emotional experience for them through through the seasons of following God that it was challenging. Look at the life of the prophets. Um, you know, there being so many uh, ups and downs to, to put it lightly. So I think that that was one of my greatest failures uh, was, yeah, just just essentially not following Jesus, but doing church. Um and I think so that that's now I'm, I'm thankful that happened early in my ministry because now it is uh, hopefully will prevent me from falling into that pitfall that frankly, I think a lot of pastors can sustain that for decades. I couldn't, um, but, but uh, so, and I'm thankful for that. And 
I think another way that I fail, uh, have failed and continue to fail is, um, I've, I've learned that this to be true, that you cannot be a good pastor and a bad husband. If you're a bad mm. husband, you're a bad pastor. Okay. So put it to bed. Now you can, and you, it, you must be a good husband to be a good pastor. Um, so you can't, those aren't two different areas of your life that aren't married. Okay. So, so my responsibility to my wife and my son, uh, aren't, aren't a separate column, aren't a separate bubble. Like this is me following Jesus and I'm, I'm not following Jesus in my marriage. I'm not following Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. I know I'm not, I'm putting the stakes high, but I'm saying like, if I am unyielded to serving my wife, like Jesus, then I'm not serving Jesus fully. Um, and so, and no matter what kind of ministry stuff I'm doing, no matter how emboldened and impassioned I am on a Sunday morning, if I'm not following Jesus on a Thursday night, sacrificing and giving up my preferences and changing my schedule and changing my priorities and giving everything like Christ did for the church, for my spouse, I'm not following Jesus. So I think that being just an area of failure for me where I fall so short of that. And um, yeah, I, I want to, I, I would really love to see how um, Jesus will redeem um, our, our, our marriage and make it this beautiful Testament, this thing that uh, Paul says is a mystery that this relationship of a husband and wife models the relationship of Christ in the church. I, I hope I get a witness of that mis uh, mystery continually with my wife and I, and as we grow our family. So yeah, I think those I think, are the two big failures. Yeah. I think first of all, just to encourage you a little bit, just as your friend and stuff. Um, yeah, you could say that they were failure, but I think more or less it was just a really important lesson um, and sometimes you don't always learn, like sometimes you learn a lesson even when something good happened. Um, and so for those listening to Joel and I are looking at this through a pastoral lens, but everything we've said is applied to just the regular Christian life, right? So you can't be a good Christian and be a bad husband, or you can't be a bad, you can't be a good wife and be a bad Christian, right? That's just not how it works. Um, and I say this is a single guy, um, but that's just laid out in the Bible, right? It's, um, it's incredible. You know, you can't be a bad son to your parents and be a good Christian because we're called to honor our father and mother, you know? Um, and so for those listening, um, if you're struggling, that's fine. That's part of actually being a good Christian is understanding that you will struggle, and it's being open to criticism and, and, and repentance in that. That's what establishes a good Christian, is somebody who is, like, willing to grow, to change, um, to, to, to be um, leveled up, to grow, all of those things. Um, and so, like, what Pastor Joel just said is so incredibly true, not just for us pastors, but for everybody. Um, because God wants, God doesn't want us to split our life in two and have our Jesus side and then our non-Jesus side. We talked right. about this at the beginning yeah. of the podcast. It's we're wrapping pack. It's everything. He wants all of you, um, yeah. and that and and I think that's such an amazing reminder for that. Um, and just I just want to thank you for like um, 
just being so honest with us. Um, I know that's a that's a that's a big bold thing to talk about struggles and stuff like that, but I appreciate you you doing that. And um, I just want to say publicly too, thank you again for everything that you did just in the short time that even like we worked together and stuff. You taught me a lot, and you were really there for me um, during some struggles and stuff like that. And so like I really appreciate that. I mean, I think we had some good times and stuff too. We had some fun times, and um, uh, I just I wanted to say like I. Yeah, I just appreciate you um, as a good friend and stuff like that. So um, I just wanted to thank you again because you taught me a lot of very valuable lessons very early on um, in my ministry and stuff like that. Um, and so I really appreciate that. And I'm still learning things from you and stuff like that. And I think that's the beauty of friendship is like iron sharpens iron. That's what we should be doing. We should be having honest conversations like this and building each other up. And I like to think that I've helped you grow in some way. And if I haven't, well, I just need to be a better friend. <laughs> Um, oh, but, Logan, oh. It's, yeah, no, I, I love you, brother. <laughs> and, uh, the, the truth is, is that, uh, um, I, I was actually, I, when you first contacted me, I, I, you know, I was just reflecting with my wife and Logan, you're the most, yeah, man, you've just been incredibly, incredibly encouraging in all different seasons. Um, and so there's a gift of, uh, admonishment and exhortation that you have uh, and so lean into that and, and continue to bless the people around you with um the way that you uh you're you're edifying to the people around you um and so uh, you the people around you uh are built up and and inspired uh, as you as you live your life in this authentic way so just continue to do that faithful work and that's yeah that that um that work isn't necessarily uh one that will be, you know, that a ministry might not be shaped around it. It might not be a uh, program. It might not have any kind of publishing with it at all, but it is um, the work of Christ. And so I just, yeah, bless your brother for, for following Jesus and, and blessing the people around you for it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for the praise. Um, I like to end this off with just maybe one sort of, I like to think, fun question. You know, we talk a lot about serious topics and stuff like that and that those are important and everything but church and everything should be fun there should be some joy in it too um and so i just want to hear what is like your like what's been your go-to like worship song lately what is the kind of like you know i because you're very musical um if you didn't know pastor joel plays pretty much any instrument you can think of um <laughs> and so um, and I'm not, I'm not even like being facetious about that. I've seen this guy play like everything. Um, and so it's like, he's been incredibly talented. He's been incredibly gifted in that way. Um, but like, what's just kind of been like your go-to like worship song? Like, you know, I, I know you have one. Everybody goes through seasons where they have yeah, that like yeah. couple go-to songs. I know, I know. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I, it was funny prep like thinking about this question because, um, Anyway, I'll just say it. I think same God has been probably like the banger that I was going to for a long season. But this and and this does happen throughout my my life of following Jesus. Um there's seasons where musical worship feels uh pretty like dry if I can say that. Um oh, I know exactly so I'm in a season where we're worshiping through music. Um well as far as can music on Sunday morning I think that there's just something yeah. really beautiful happening in my heart and in our church I would say um, where there's there's something the spirit's doing something in our gatherings together but yeah so I'm listening to more man like like uh uh 
uh, instrumental like piano stuff mm. right now. No, but that's, just that's yeah, good. there's going to be an oversaturation, I think, of of this where you just listen to it casually, and it's not necessarily a time of worship where it can make the sacred things mundane. Um, and so I think I'm just having a season, yeah, where where there's less of that happening, and so I, I'm excited for when, um, yeah, I can have that uh, passionate experience. Um, little oh, more in my, my private study and whatnot. Yeah. Well, and just even like, doesn't even have to be like private, you know what I mean? Like I, I, and I know exactly what you mean. Like I remember for the longest time, especially in like Bible college where it was like, I looked at like my worship playlist and I was like, man, I've just, it's the same 50 songs, you know, like it was like, and it was very dry and I was like, you know, and I need to like expand out and find, <laughs> you know, other music and stuff like that. So I kind of branched out and, stuff like that because honestly my playlist was just stuff that i had heard in churches that i really liked and then i was like oh cool i'm gonna add that to my um playlist and stuff but like i mean i'll just say like for me the song lately that has been like really um like just been on repeat a lot is holy forever i just have really um it's maybe an older song and maybe a little cliche but um i've really attached to um just the idea that like God is really forever and like um like it's thousands of generations will yeah. worship him, you know, and and it's to think that what we're like what I'm doing is like but a grain of sand in the greater, you know, like kingdom of God. And it's like it's so it it some people might find that discouraging, but I actually find that so inspiring and empowering to know that like that's how powerful our God is. It's just like what I'm doing right now is but a grain of sand, but that grain of sand is so important and God knows everything about it. And so many people are going to be ministered through it. And so it's well, like, yeah. And, and like Tomlin's his like Chris Tomlin's new album. I, I didn't, I'm reading a book. I think it's 2016, but actually co-written by Chris Tomlin. And uh, they talk about the seven Hebrew words that are translated as one English word, which isn't very helpful at all. No, it's translated as praise in our English translations, but there's seven different Hebrew words with very different nuances, which means, oh. uh, so he writes, um, the author writes, and then he writes um, the song he wrote about that word. And even though like Chris Tomlin may, you know, like he's like pretty vanilla when it comes to writing worship for the church, I couldn't, he was, he's incredibly intentional um, with how he writes and what he writes about and um, just recognizing that, uh, yeah, while there maybe is um, musically simplicity and and even lyrically simplicity, um, sometimes it is the simple things of the gospel that are just mind-blowing, like the reality that God has forever been worshipped and will forever be worshipped. Yes. And he is holy and entirely set apart from the mess of this world until the person of Jesus has come. Like, it's just the, the wealth that, that can come from, from just naming Jesus or naming God as holy. Uh, yeah. I, I think, yeah. So that's, that's in, um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see that, that writers that have been writing for a long time and that could write anything and, and have, you know, albums go platinum. They're still humbly walking before the Lord, watching Jesus renovate and transform them heart, their hearts, and sitting down with a guitar and writing songs about it. It's still really exciting that way. Absolutely, it is. Um, well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. 
Um, any last words? One final lesson, message, whatever. What like what? What are you? What are you ending us with? You've had a lot of amazing nuggets of wisdom. What's one last thing you want to give us before we, before we close this off? Or if you have nothing, we can just pray and be done. But I think I I, I recently was uh, commissioned as as I went full time here. We had a commissioning service. I've received credentials now. I'm full uh, and. Uh, you know, there's that special season of being recognized as a pastor, um, commissioned into the work of the ministry here. And we had uh, one of our denominal leaders, Pastor Mark, come. And as he preached, he talked about pastoral ministry and, and, and what it is to, you know, follow Jesus as a pastor. And he, as someone who is seeing ministry all across um, the country happen, uh, his voice broke as he looked to the side and in front of our congregation said, don't give up. Just don't grow weary in doing good. I think that's Paul that writes that. Yeah. And I, I would just tell you today, don't give up. Don't grow weary. Change your schedule, your spiritual practices. Look at what area of your life isn't yielded to Jesus? Don't give up following Jesus. Um, there is, uh, yeah, a power that is prowling around like a lion trying to uh, dismantle and destroy anything that um, looks like following Jesus. So I just encourage you today, don't give up um, and, and press in. I'm reading a book now called Don't Hold Back by David Platt. Um, and same idea, don't, don't withhold an area that Jesus would renovate. Um, whether that's, yes, yeah, sure, we, it's important to think about sin, but think about the virtues of Christ and, and think about which ones in conversations in your workplace, think about what's missing there and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and to lead you to be obedient to Jesus in every area of your life. Don't hold any area of your life back um, because Friends, if we commit to following Jesus and being his disciples, we will change our families. We will change our churches. We will change our communities. We will change the world through the patient, obedient work of teaching and obeying the things of Christ. Um, so, yeah, I'd encourage you with that. Well, that's an amazing word. Um, I, could, I could listen to you talk forever. <laughs> Brother, I love you. I really appreciate the time that you've taken to to be faithful in this ministry of, of bringing different voices to the table so that we can be edified and, and yeah, ultimately yeah. fulfill the Great Commission. Oh, trust. I got I got some cool ideas down the pipeline. I really want to this summer, I think. I don't know if you're going to be at camp or not. I'm going to but if you are, I don't know. I know I'm going to try to get a couple of other pastors kids and I want to sit down and I want to to interview um, like three or four pastors kids because I didn't grow up in that. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, and I think that like um, there's a lot to be learned um, about that. Hey, forgiven audience just wanted to take a second to apologize for 
um, the lost audio at the end of this episode. Um, unfortunately, when we're filming remotely, things happen, internet goes out, whatever. Um, and so that's why the conversation just abruptly ends with Pastor Joel. Um, truthfully, you really didn't miss a ton. We ended up just kind of um, praying for each other and praying for each other's ministries and stuff. Um, so that was a very blessed time. So we just ask for your forgiveness uh, in that area as we move forward and we still learn and grow in our online and remote episodes. Um, just wanted to take a second to thank everybody for the amazing support you have shown this show over the last almost year, like 10 months. Uh, it's been absolutely incredible and very encouraging. And we just, we hope and pray that you just continue to support us. And the best way to do that is to hit the share button, tell your friends, your family, um, get them to listen and share it around. The best way for anything to grow is just word of mouth. Um, just keep sharing it around and doing what you've been doing. It's been really amazing. Um, please, if you want to get in contact with us, email forgiven at bethelbrandon.ca or find Bethel Brandon on social media. Uh, just search at Bethel Brandon and you'll find us. Send me a message, all these things. Um, we want to, whether you have prayer requests, topics, questions, maybe you're a guest and you want to come on, hit us up. We want to uh, use this platform and this podcast to help glorify what God's doing. And uh, yeah, we just, we pray that you have a great day and that um, you have a great day. I just said that twice and now I'm rambling. So we're going to end the episode here. All right. Thanks for listening. See you guys later.